Hi, it's Darren, Lead Account Manager at HackerJob. This week, I'm joined by Becky O'Farrell, Technology Recruitment Partner at Cavair Insurance. How are you, Becky? I'm good, thank you. You? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. So for all the listeners, I suspect there's a few that haven't come across your profile before. So it'd be good if you could give us a bit of an overview about your background and how you got to the position you are in now. Yeah, of course. So I've got quite a varied background between kind of in-house and agency recruitment. Kind of fell into recruitment straight from university. I think like 99.9% of recruiters will tell you. I'm not sure how it happened, but um, love it. So yeah, I went straight into an exec search job um, Mm -hmm. straight from university as a researcher. I don't think I really even knew 100% what I was applying for when I applied for it, just a graduate job, but really enjoyed it actually. And quite quickly specialised in IT leadership there. So working to recruit, you know, CIOs, CTOs, IT directors, all those sorts. And after a couple of years working there, I kind of got to the point where, you know, thinking about progression and I wasn't really sure if kind of the whole agency world was for me longer term more just on the sales side of things and business development and just started thinking about a move in-house where I felt I could have a bit more of an impact really within a business and and see the results of my work so that saw me move to Skybetting and Gaming as technology recruiter I loved working at Skybet, learned so much there about sort of different tech stacks, ways to recruit. After a couple of years there, I moved into an agency again as a technology recruiter, uh, just for, for quite a short period because quite quickly realised what I loved about sort of working in-house and really missed it. And that saw me move to Kavea about a year ago now, I think October 2019, as tech recruitment partner. It's amazing. And it's interesting. Like, obviously, they're out there, but I've never really thought about a researcher doing like exec search mm. because it, you got dropped in it completely the deep end if you do an executive search because you're talking to people that are at a very high level quite quickly. Definitely. But I think it was a really good kind of have proving grounds really the the process was so thorough everything you know had to be done properly you really had to think about the way you were kind of selling the role and the way you're communicating with these people so I think it was actually a really good place to start even though it was a bit daunting thrown in the deep end it was a it's really taught me about sort of process and the sort of right proper kind of way to do things yeah you can't really um when you're working with a CTO you can't really just ignore them. Like I, I, I know <laughs> you get a bad, a bad name, but that's what happens a lot of the time. That suddenly the the candidate hasn't had any response in a few days, but doing that to a CTO, suddenly they're not going to give you much business going forward. So exactly. So could you talk to us a little bit about Conveyor? That'd be interesting to understand that as well. Yeah, of course. So. Uh, a lot of people actually haven't heard of Cavea before. We tend to say that we're actually the biggest insurance company you've never heard of. So. There's benefits to that as well, though. So it means we've really kind of invested heavily in the latest tech and new ways of working. But we've really got the kind of ambition and attitude of a startup. It's a really exciting place to be. We're, we're a large insurance business. We've got offices across the UK. So our main ones are Halifax, Reading and Westmoreland. Um, and we have, you know, all sorts of insurance products like pet, commercial, motor, high net worth but a lot of our products are actually delivered through brokers their parties and white label products mm-hmm. so just for one example if you were to get your car insurance through john lewis and um, that's us okay. we have quite a few products like that but 
that's why a lot of people haven't actually heard of Kaveya because we don't have any direct to consumer products under that name. But yeah, we're a large insurance business. It's really the the journey that we're on that attracted me to to Kaveya. So there's a real opportunity to kind of shape things and and put your stamp on on how things are done going forwards because we're we're in the middle of a really big digital transformation really changing everything from our internal systems our ways of working right through to our um, external facing products and and doing some really industry changing stuff so just a a really exciting place to be nice and um i suspect it's always quite fun when you jump on the phone with someone for the first time and you then explain what Kaveya do as a business because it's interesting you said about the John Lewis stuff and I've had insurance for John Lewis before wouldn't have known that I actually had never know I know that's the thing there's so many people that have never heard of us but actually a lot of people actually probably do have insurance products through us but it's quite nice because people do have a bit of a really preconception of what the insurance industry is like you know yeah. a bit boring old-fashioned really regulated and and obviously it is a regulated industry but there's still so much um, exciting stuff going on a lot of people are at the moment comparing it to the finance industry a little while back so there's now the whole fintech space yep. um, which is cool and exciting and insurance is kind of on that journey now towards a sort of much more tech-led and so where it's quite early days there is a real chance to kind of change things and, and bring ideas to the table yeah, I think a few years ago when I think insurance, I think like I don't, Lloyds of London, that's what I think of, like people yeah. <laughs> in, in suit and very old gentlemen. So I, I think it's interesting that InsurTech is now coming up as, a, as quite an interesting industry. Mm. When we were speaking a couple of weeks ago, uh, you were talking about PSLs. I, I was saying that a few companies I work with have got very bloated PSLs, which mm. means they probably haven't got great partnerships with any of them. But you were saying that actually you've been a part of driving down that PSL to just trusted partners. So can you walk us through how that works at Kaveya? Yeah, of course. So in digital, we've got a, a quite exclusive PSL because I really like to work with these people as our trusted partners. So I guess a bit of background. So when I first joined um, Kaveya a year ago, the whole talent acquisition function was new and there wasn't really anything before that. So the hiring managers tended just to recruit in their own way. Everyone did it differently. I'm sure you can imagine that led to quite a, a chaotic way of recruiting. It didn't really have any sort of process as such. They worked with over 40 different agencies, all on different terms. So yeah, very expensive and difficult to manage. So when I first came in, one of the, actually one of the very first things that I looked to do was to cut this down. Uh, we had a huge volume of roles, so we were quite reliant on those agencies to support us in delivering them. But mm. it was just impossible to keep track of who was working what and yeah. uh, who would fill what roles. So I looked to cut it down straight away just to give me that bit of control over the process and also to really improve that hiring manager and candidate experience. So as part of this, I've actually implemented a biannual agency review. So right. it's quite it's quite simple, really. But um, I just look at kind of the stats, you know, number of roles filled, number of CVs submitted, all that sort of thing. I also survey the hiring manager community for their experience of working with the agencies kind of ask them questions about it's, it's only really simple and short but you know talking about 
quality of communications, how quick were they submitting CVs, do they add any value elsewhere, like supporting us with events, that sort of thing. And then surveyed the recently placed people by agencies as well. Oh. So our employees that had been placed by an agency, I, I just asked them a few questions because we don't actually see that side of things as, yeah. as sort of the customer to these agencies. We don't see how they're treating their candidates and it's so important they're oh. representing us to the candidate market. So it's important that they're doing that well. So we use the results of that to cut it down. And I've been doing that every six months since just to check that we're really working with the best people for us. And I think it it also puts a little bit of pressure on the agencies as well, knowing they're almost under this constant review to to perform at the best, which which does help. And as part of that as well, I've also um, after the review, I run these biannual partnership sessions. So we bring the agencies that we work with we only work with four so we bring those into the office they can kind of see the space and catch up with hiring managers and then we'll run them through kind of anything that's changed key projects that we're working on refresh of like the tribe structure everything like that just to make sure that everyone's up to date and got all the information that they need to then kind of go away and make sure that the candidates are getting the best experience i think from working in an agency before I know how frustrating it is when you don't have all the information you need and, and you're kind of going backwards and forwards, asking all these questions. And, but if you've got as much as we can possibly give you up front, hopefully that means that you can kind of provide the best service for us as well. Nice. I, I like that as well. I think the it's, it's interesting what you said about how you're reviewing the candidate experience because I agree, sometimes if you've got the best database, you could end up doing a lot of, a lot of placements. But in reality... Mm-hmm. If you're treating the candidates very badly, you could be just falling into placements. Yeah, and if you're exactly. not reviewing it, suddenly candidates are having a crap experience, but you're not aware of it. So I love that mm. you guys are being proactive with that approach. Thank you. <laughs> so from, uh, I know when we were catching up, you were saying about diversity and inclusion is something you're mm-hmm. you're big on. And you were saying yeah. that actually you do some pushing on the on the partner side as well. So mm-hmm. how does how does that work? Yeah, so it is diversity inclusion. It's really important to us as a sort of a wider business and, and myself as well. I'm involved in quite a few projects personally. Mm-hmm. Um, we're really kind of passionate about like representing the communities that we serve. And as an insurance business, that's that's fast. It's so varied, the, the, sort of our customers. So we have a few initiatives in place really to help us work towards that goal. Some of these are quite new. Um, so always really open to hearing kind of new ideas and things like that. Um, but when it comes to our agencies, when we decide to partner with them, we ask them to agree to a number of commitments. And one of those is really to do their absolute best to provide that diverse and, and fully inclusive shortlist. We don't sort of currently measure them on that, but we are looking into sort of asking our partners to provide some sort of report on the diversity of their candidates that they can then submit to us. And, and we can just keep an eye that they they are sort of really bearing this in mind when they're sort of presenting candidates. Um, we're also trialing a new agency as well that's got a specific DNI focus. So that's the first time I've done this. Obviously, a lot of agencies, they do work into their sort of everyday work, but it's nice yeah. to, to sort of see someone whose key focus is on these sort of more diverse populations. So I'm excited to see sort of what happens there. So that's kind of the main things that we're doing with our partners. When yeah. it comes to maybe more internal and direct recruitment, when I'm doing my direct sourcing, I'm I'm always really conscious of trying to present a diverse range of candidates, but in the tech space especially, it can be a challenge. And there is that sort of quite hard balance between 
getting candidates quickly obviously you know you get a role and you want it filled yesterday so and perhaps it is the less diverse candidates that are more visible and it can you do have to put that time in to really finding sort of the the whole pool of people available to you so I think you've got to be conscious that if you really do want to present a diverse shortlist you might have to do a little bit more digging and and with that comes a little bit of a longer time frame but that's it's important it's worth it so we've signed up to a few job boards with a specific DNI focus and I also try looking sort of you know your groups events things like that that do have that are related to the role that do have a specific DNI focus so these are things that are a bit more time consuming but it's worth it because that's where these people kind of are and you just have to dig around around in them I think to to make sure they're doing the best you can we're also working on a bit of a project at the moment to to really make sure that we're attracting the right people and the most diverse range of people so everything from like looking at the content that we put out there and the events that we deliver really celebrating the the diversity that we already have within our business and kind of shining the light on role models from different genders races sexualities uh, and more just to make sure that we're we're kind of shouting about that we are already diverse and everyone's welcome here in order to try sort of attract more diverse candidates to us as well you, you answered my next question. Oh, uh, sorry, not, getting carried away. No, 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 no. Because um, I was about to ask you what, because it's always interesting. Everyone talks about diversity in tech, and I find it fascinating that in reality, everyone is talking about females, males. That's all mm. people talk about when they talk about diversity most of the time. But I actually think you're saying you've proven that actually you're thinking outside of it because you didn't just talk about gender, you didn't just talk about race, you also talked about sexuality. And mm. And I think that is one alongside neurodiversity that is completely yeah. missed a lot of the time that mm. everyone considers, okay, we want to improve our diversity. Okay, let's just really do it on the ones that when you look a person in the eyes, you can see I'm bringing yeah. diversity to it, which mm. it, yes, you are solving diversity internally. But when I started with my with the business and I find out I'm a gay male and I'm the only male that works for your business, mm. I'm like, okay cool there's not a lot of diversity related to me so I love that you guys are actually doing a little bit more on top of it as well yeah it's interesting like the neurodiversity piece that you mentioned as well so we've been sort of working and in conversations with a few charities around how you know we we definitely don't do everything that we could to be sort of fully inclusive to to people from a more of a neurodiverse background but it's something we're really working towards and it's amazing there's things that you don't even really think about like for example someone who may be on the autistic spectrum even just your if you might have a canteen if they're expected to go have their lunch in there all the noises and smells and sounds can be so overwhelming so it's really sort of an education piece at the moment learning about um, what we can do and then we're going to go ahead and implement stuff but I think these types of people can bring so much to a, a workplace especially in tech a lot of people's the way that their mind can work yeah. they can bring so many new ideas that sort of we would never have thought of on our own so it's exciting I think that we can we can try make sure we're welcoming all these type of people yeah and I, I think I've told this story in the pod before but I come from uh, I'm dyspraxic, dyslexic, and I'm on the borderline autistic. So I, when I, when I started looking for roles, I really struggled because there was certain people would send me a test and they'd be like, okay, you've got 30 minutes to do the test, you've got to answer 20 questions, and I literally couldn't do it. No, and it, it made me realise that looking back, this was five years ago, but looking across 
or industries it wasn't that inclusive no. it was like if you and it's not just if i've got dyslexia and dyspraxia but it's if you come from uh, a nation and english isn't your first language again you mm. can't do it because you have to translate in your head into let's say french and then back into english yeah. and then answer the question so i'm glad that companies are thinking a little bit more about what it means and i, I the autistic point on the the canteens is really interesting because mm. uh going into a canteen of 50 to 100 people a few years ago would have absolutely terrified me like luckily i've got over it a little bit but yeah um, i i get that completely that that if you have that in your canteen it probably means that it's not going to be a very comfortable place to to work in that may exactly yeah yeah so looking at the the bigger picture i guess something that businesses should be doing a little bit more long term i think Mm -hmm. is looking at stem because i think that a lot of time people say that they want to increase diversity but in reality they're not doing anything around stem um yeah. like helping them so like is there any tips you would give to to people about what you guys have done internally and uh things you're looking at i guess going forward yeah so we're we're still learning every day to be honest but looking at the longer term is it's so vital you know especially in stem or tech and um, there is a bit of a shortage especially of di- the diverse candidates yeah. in certain areas we really need to invest in that future talent to make sure we address it and it, we're not going to keep having this problem over and over again so we do a few things we partner we partner really closely actually with schools and education providers so we do things like deliver talks we go into schools and do like coding activities with them we did something quite cool where we like built a robot and they had to really simple coding but you know a bit of an introduction to coding and um raffle work experience all, all that sort of stuff but i think it's really important to educate the younger generation on the options available to them yep so especially in tech it's not just coding so many different careers that kind of lend themselves to different types of people you know there's there's kind of the whole design path ux product business analysis it's, it's huge not we, we do need coders but I think a lot of people and they think oh career in tech you know hammering away on a keyboard just sort of coding and it's not about that um not all of it and I wish I know when I was at school and, and college like 10 years or so ago that I'd known all the options available because I had no idea and I don't know I think I'd have probably taken like a different path if I had have known so I think it's really important that people know the options available to them we're also looking at kind of investing in education programs as well so we're working we've got a pipeline we're working on a few kind of STEM apprenticeships data science being one of those but a few others as well in digital and outside of digital and we're looking at other ideas as well like a development accelerator program all sorts of things that you can be investing in to really bring that young talent through and then also really partnering with charities and social initiatives I think is absolutely key so we've started working quite recently with Stemets and Tech She Can and it's really important they provide like absolute vital service to far more people than we could ever reach we we would love to be able to you know reach everyone in in what we do but it tends to be quite local to our offices with the schools and stuff that we work with partnering with some of these more sort of broader initiatives really does help us help more people i guess the question that came off the back of that and i will have a follow-up one afterwards is Mm -hmm. if you could look back you said that 10 years ago if you had known all the options you would have gone on something differently you think what would you have gone into do you think i think probably 
either something like UX design. So yeah. I'm very sort of creative. I actually did fashion design at university, but then really didn't like the whole industry when I did placement year and stuff. So yeah. I think probably something down the design route or I've actually did spend a little time at Skybet shadowing sort of product and business analysis. Yeah. And I really enjoyed that as well. I'm, I'm really organized and like sort of very structured and like getting things done. So I think those kind of skills would, would lend themselves to that. But if I'd have known that, you you know 10 years ago then it would have been different I like where I ended up but at the same time I think how have I ended up where I did because I remember le- finishing my A-levels and going I don't know what I'm going to do next like <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was living in the southwest uh, in a small village there was nothing going on there so I w- I just applied to Manchester University and went to Manchester University uh, okay. no intention of what I wanted to do I was <laughs> cool let's go up to Manchester see what I end up doing and I did exactly the same route as you where I don't remember how I applied to work in recruitment yeah into it and I look back eight years later and I'm still here yeah yeah exactly no exactly the same as me really grew up in quite a small town really not much going on in college kind of did subjects that I enjoyed and and was good at kind of did the same thing going to to uni just took some direction from my teachers and thought oh well, this is something I enjoy without actually really thinking what I was going to do after that yeah and then yeah fell into it so what's your opinion about stuff like all those coding academies and, and things like that because we're talking about how if we'd had our time again we would move into mm. a different area but I always find it hard and I know I'm aiming this back at engineering rather than tech as a whole mm. but I always find it interesting that most companies aren't very keen on those coding canvies a lot of the time they'll want like a, a master's or a bachelor's degree or something like that as a minimum so oh, that's interesting yeah so we do hire people from those kind of coding camps yeah nice. um so we actually work quite closely with a couple of them okay. um so with like north coders and tech returners which have a bit of yeah. a back back to work focus and i think they're brilliant you know they they can come with a little bit of a downside they're expensive and you kind of have to fund it yourself usually but i think that opportunity to completely change what you're doing in such a short time and it's it's crazy hard work it's so intense but I think they're they're really good and actually the coders and developers that we've hired through through those have just as much if not you know more experience than someone who's just come off a degree. Funnily enough Daisy who is my partner in crime on this her fiance went for a coding academy so Mm. it's near and dear to her heart as well but I, I find it interesting how companies want diversity but you can get a lot of diversity through those coding camps I went to look around um, North Coders offices yeah. a while back. I think it was around Christmas last year. And the the range of people and what they'd done before in there was amazing. Like, I think there was something like an ex-professional gymnast, teachers, wow. yeah, all sorts. But I think the the sort of way that they think and they can then bring that into the business, it's like a whole new range of ideas and, and sort of different experiences from their previous careers. And then they can yeah. apply that to the new career. So I, I'm sort of all for them, really. Yeah, the, um, the most interesting person I think we've ever helped place a hacker job was a taxi driver. He, was talking <laughs> to, he turned to our co-founder in a taxi and our co-founder said, look, go onto the website and go through the platform. And we ended up placing him. And I've ended up placing a, a guy who was a, he was a design engineer at Jaguar Land Rover. He oh. really wanted to go into DevOps and we ended up placing him in DevOps. So I think you should really take into account a lot of the time what someone's passion is as much as anything else 
which like North Coders are amazing at that because they actually do bring in people who have a passion for it, which never had the opportunity. Yeah, exactly. I think to do something like a, a code boot camp, you you have to have that passion. They're so hard, they're so intense. You're committing your own sort of personal money to it as well. I think you you've got to have that passion. So it whittles out anyone who doesn't absolutely love what they're doing and and we want to bring people in with that passion. So yeah, yeah a bit of a no-brainer really. Exactly. So um candidate experience. Mm-hmm. what what do you do as a business uh, or what actually because I guess it's near and dear to your heart so mm-hmm. what is your opinion on a good candidate experience and how do you deliver it in-house yeah so I think well candidate experience is so important you know oh, if you've got a poor one word soon gets out and you know it's just impossible but communication is absolutely key I think the the number one most important thing and when it comes to candidate experience, you know, even if you don't have a decision or an update yet, tell them that. Uh, be realistic with timescales, really managing their expectations from early on. You know, it's awful when you kind of put yourself out there for to either apply for a job, interview for a job, for something that's potentially life-changing, really. And then if it's just like radio silence, it's, it's horrible. So I think just that constant regular communication is, is so important. I try to make sure that we do that and then also kind of sounds obvious but it's kind of back to the information piece again so making sure that they have all the information that they need to sort of perform at the best that interview so it's not just about the role obviously that's important but things like more about our company what's going on the journey that we're on our values and then basics as well like who will they be meeting where to park, everything like that, because there's nothing worse than turning up at an interview and feeling like you don't really know what you're talking about and just feeling like a bit unprepared, you get there all flustered and, and you just can't do your best. So I think if people can arrive full, like fully prepared, um, they'll be in the best place to really then go on, make a good impression and kind of secure the job, hopefully. <laughs> and then I think one other thing really is it's really important to provide that good quality feedback kind of at the other end of the process I really try to make sure that we provide something that they can use to build on mm-hmm. so after every interview when we catch up with the hiring managers I'll ask them to fill in this feedback form that has kind of three positives three takeaways as well that they can go on build on and then hopefully next time you know we, there's a candidate shortage so we don't want to lose these people so next time they'll come back apply for it and they'll have worked on these things and then they'll be in the position where we can offer them the role Um, and I think it's just providing that just kind of wraps up that whole experience and hopefully leads them to go away and think yeah I didn't get it but it came across a really good business a really good place to work I want to work there so I'm going to work on these things and then next time do better. So It's interesting I think that the the northwest you're a lot more precious with candidates um like i'm not saying recruiters are bad down south like for the listeners but um i think because it's a smaller pool and it's a growing yeah. pool you have to be a lot more precious with it but a candidate that's got two years experience they may not be ready for you now but give mm. it another 18 months like tech moves forward so quickly and a candidate can learn so much in 18 months that suddenly they may be a superstar and if you give them a bad experience suddenly they won't go back to you exactly yeah like because it is such a small pool if we if we don't make the most of that and kind of almost nurture that talent even though it's not ours we'll pay for it in the long run 
Yeah, 100%. Like every, mm. especially in such a, a small pool, even if they don't come back to you, they've all got mates that. Exactly. All they need to do is tell like two people that they had an awful experience or a good experience, and then they'll say two more people, and for you know, like half of Leeds know. Yeah, <laughs> no yeah. one wants to work for you. And, and you said about realistic timeframes, and I think that's a really good term because. You, you can give time frames, but it needs to be realistic because there's no point saying I'll give you feedback uh, in the next 24 hours when you know your hiring manager won't come back for five days yeah. because then they're sitting there. Even if you're going to give feedback eventually, they're sitting there thinking, okay, it's now day three. As Becky mentioned that she was going to get feedback in 24 hours. It must be a no. So they're sitting yeah. there depressed that they've not heard back. Exactly. Yeah. I think it's just being realistic and, and that varies from role to role. It's about not knowing the hiring managers and kind of, how quickly they can turn things around and how many of the interviews they've got on what else they've got on you know just recruiting is not their their only job it's not their job at the end of the day so I think it's just about knowing all that understanding it and then yeah communicating it to the candidates so they're kind of all on the same page yeah and with your trusted partners how does that work do you hold the relationship with the candidate once they've brought them into the company or do you need feedback to the partners and then they feedback to the candidate because I just the holds it makes it more I know yeah which at the moment the agency they manage the sort of communication with the with the candidates which I do I do kind of understand they've got that initial relationship there but sometimes it can kind of slow the process down a little bit in terms of getting communication to them but most to be honest our partners are all brilliant in in sort of working so quickly so we don't really have too much of a problem with that but then again I think you don't kind of get that same relationship with the candidate then that the direct candidates do so there's pros and cons I think to both and it's nice on that first day I, I suspect I've never worked internally so I, I'm saying it as if I know but I think what would be great for me is if I worked internally and I've placed someone that first day when they join the company, you see them grabbing a coffee and you go speak to them. Yeah, I love it. That's like one of my favourite bits about being an internal recruiter, yeah. seeing the people come in. Um, like every week, I, I just have like a five minute slot in the induction just to run through a few things like the referral scheme and stuff like that. But I love it seeing the people that, you know, I've spoken with probably for like months with, when you bear like notice periods and stuff like that. I spoke, I feel like I know them, they're like my friends. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, you see them coming in on the first day and you, you are a friendly face there that they recognize but then also then that you see them delivering all this cool stuff and and they start you know talking in the town hall about all the stuff that they're delivering you feel quite proud really which is like nice a, like a, a son or daughter yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> and then I guess final question this is always the difficult one that people struggle on but in terms of what your predictions are would be for 2021 what do you what would you like to think will change in the industry and, and what do you think is the reality of what you're expect to see in the industry in 12 months time? Yeah, so I think, obviously no one could have predicted what happened in 2020 because no. uh, <laughs> I don't want to curse anything, but um, I think there'll be a lot of things that change to be honest. I think COVID-19 has brought about a lot, a lot of changes in the industry and that's going to still be having an impact into next year. So kind of the shift to much more remote working is a big one. And from a recruitment perspective, that solves a lot of problems. You know, we've mentioned a few times about a talent shortage, but if we're recruiting someone either fully remote or they might only need to come into the office once a week, once every couple of weeks, suddenly you've got a much wider pool of people to be looking at, which is really going to kind of be a big change for us going into recruiting for next year. 
one thing that's changed quite a bit as well is our events so we like a, a lot of companies we had a good calendar you know you meet ups and things like that we've shifted all that to, to virtual which it's not quite the same but it does allow us to reach a much bigger sort of range of people they might either not have been able to get to us because they live too far away or they might kind of have been doing the school run or kids to look after so they wouldn't have normally been able to come to like physical events yeah. and they can they can dial into our virtual ones so I think going forwards again in, into next year as we can kind of make a return to physical events I think we'll actually see more of a mixture I think some of these virtual events will kind of continue which is nice because you, you just get a much bigger range of people there um, a few things that I kind of hope to continue into next year as well is is the real kind of focus that we're seeing at the moment across the industry on DNI and like we touched on not just gender or race everything I think a lot of people are being made aware of that it's you know it's in the media at the moment it's all over and you can't ignore it and I really hope that next year we start to see some big big changes in what people are doing it's not not just talking about it but actual changes we we'll have to bring you on in 12 months and see how much <laughs> yeah <laughs> hopefully better than this year anyway <laughs> oh, yeah. it's, it's been the it's been the perfect storm this year with brexit ir35 and um and covid uh, so yeah I, I can't wait for the end of 2020 um <laughs> we got to the end of the podcast thank you mm-hmm. for attending it's been thank really you. really insightful i guess for people that are uh listening to this and want to reach out afterwards how's the best way to reach out to yourself probably linkedin or twitter so it's becky o'farrell on both You'll be able to find me there but probably linkedin is the best place i was gonna say twitter no one's ever dropped their twitter tag in it <laughs> i was just thinking that i don't actually know what my twitter is but my name on there is becky o'farrell so if you search it you'll find it i think my twitter is me in a policeman's hat when i'm like five years old <laughs> um, I don't think I, I've, I've never used my Twitter I think I've got one photo on Instagram I f- I'm like from the old days I'm like Facebook Bebo back in the day like Bebo, Bebo exactly <laughs> bit of MySpace <laughs> I, I MySpace I, I stuck away from MySpace so Bebo and Facebook to the end but yeah thank you very much for attending for thank anyone you. that wants to reach out to Hagajob if you reach out to hello at hagajob.co um, we'll answer all the questions there